Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, November 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. The 2021 rankings are up on The Athletic. They're the first draft, of course. Lots of feedback coming in. It's been great to see that so far. We'll get to some interesting things that are popping up around those rankings. And we've got news. We have Drew Smiley finding a new home. We'll talk about our expectations for him in Atlanta. We found out just before we started recording that Mike Clevenger will undergo Tommy John surgery. He will miss all of the 2021 season. He signed a two-year deal with the Padres to cover him for the 2022 season, which seems kind of like a made-up season right now, by the way. Uh, We'll talk about when you can gamble on young pitching, and we will talk about a player who I have both overrated and underrated, (laughs) which is pretty amazing that in the first few hours... At the same time, like we should call his agent and see what he thinks of your of your ranking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave the agents out of this. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it, it's actually pretty fun. So, for those who have not seen the tweet, our friend and boss Nando Defino used Cameo to have uh, Rachel Luba talk about the pitcher rankings I put out. Trevor Bauer uh, near the back of the top ten at eighth among starting pitchers. Rachel is Trevor's agent. She didn't think that was a very good ranking, and she doesn't think I'm a very good analyst or fantasy player. She even said she's glad that I'm not a baseball writer and that I don't have votes, <laughs> as in <laughs> awards votes as well, which is actually, that's the best chirp anyone has ever given me. And honestly, I don't want people to try and top it because I'm not tough enough to take that many chirps, but that was really well done. So uh, a huge thank you to Rachel for playing along and pat on the back for our friend Nando for a pretty clever way of getting some extra eyes on the, the ranks as they came out. Uh, but let's start with the Mike Clevenger situation. That's bigger news than Drew Smiley uh, finding a new home, you know, and you can't put a set of rankings out and not have a player have to be scratched off the list within a few hours. That's just that's the Murphy's Law of doing rankings, which it's unfortunate. We knew this was a possibility when Clevenger was hurt at the end of this season. And it's frustrating because when we were looking at him last week, kind of previewing the ranks, if we had known he were healthy, he probably could have been a top 10 pitcher based on skills. And part of the reason why I didn't have him there was some concerns about the possibility of something being wrong with his arm. Unfortunately, uh, that has become reality here in the last little while. Yeah, and it's just been a... A constant thing sort of at the back of any attempt to rank him is just, you know, is the delivery violent? Is there something that leads to the back injuries and the other injuries, the the, the hamstring injuries he's had? He's had a fairly long string of injuries. And so 
This one leads in. This is just another one, and it's a second Tommy John. The success rate on the first Tommy John is something like 95%. The success rate on the second Tommy John drops to 80 to 85%. Um, so, you know, he should be okay, but it's definitely riskier now. It's kind of amazing that the Padres have signed him to a two-year extension in front of that. Uh, but I guess they wanted the cost certainty or maybe it has something to do with um, averaging, you know, for luxury tax. I don't know. You know, sometimes it helps to sort of average payments over a couple of years. Uh, but in any case, I don't think they're that close to luxury tax. So it just reads weird uh, to announce at the same time. We've signed him to a two-year deal, and he's having Tommy John. <laughs> They've made the move to sign Garrett Richards, knowing Garrett Richards is going to have Tommy John surgery a couple years ago, right? Sign him to a two-year deal. You have the rehab year, and then, of course, you have the year the player comes back. So it's a little bit of that. Maybe it's a way of uh, building up that relationship for when Clevenger you know, reaches free agency, and you want to try and maybe keep him around long-term at that time by giving him a little extra short-term security you know, letting him know you're not going to non-tender him or do something along those lines, maybe that helps as well. But you're right, there's probably something else in how the books are handled that maybe makes that a team-friendly sort of thing. But uh, part of the appeal, when they traded for Clevenger at the time, they thought, oh, hey, look, this is a guy that's going to bolster our rotation for a few years. Not having him in 2021 is going to lead us down the path of asking a lot of the same questions. You know, is Mackenzie Gore up in early 2021? Is Luis Patino, who didn't do very well working out of the bullpen in a really limited capacity. Does he stretch out and begin 2021 as a part of the rotation? Do they go to you know Ryan Weathers, who we saw in the playoffs? Do we, do we see him stretch out? Or Adrian Morejon? Like, there's no shortage of options, but Clevenger's Tommy John surgery, the lingering concerns about the health of Denelson Lamette, you know, Chris Paddock has had Tommy John surgery in the last few years. Like There are some big question marks on the health front for the Padres, which would seemingly, if they're willing to spend some money, put them right in the thick of things for someone like Trevor Bauer or put them at least in the conversation for that next wave of starters, which also comes with risk. I mean, James Paxton is a risky guy. You might get him on a, a short-term deal, but you might also get an ace sort of performance from him on a short-term deal as well. So high risk, high reward, but not high risk in terms of the length of contract. I think that's a... A perfect segue into the other news item that we have, the Drew Smiley signing with the Braves. And, you know, to some, you know, 11 million seems too too tall of an order uh, for Drew Smiley, um, who was good last year and showed improved velocity, uh, best velocity of his career, uh, good stuff number, uh, decent command, has always been an intriguing pitcher because he's this weirdo over-the-top release uh, left-hander without very much wiggle, very up, very sort of north-south vertical pitcher. Um, I've always, I've always found him fascinating. But I think that the reason that the number is higher is not only the velocity spiking and the chance of getting him. Also, I think that you know there's a, there was a usage uh, pattern that, that that San Francisco discovered where they could be like, hey, you know what, Smiley, you throw four innings at 93 miles an hour, and you'll be more valuable to us than if you throw five or six at 91. And I think that the Braves have enough of a bullpen where they could do that same approach, where they have the kind of four-inning guy. 
uh, that transitions to the bullpen for the postseason. You know, that sort of number four, number five type guy. And that might be worth $11 million, especially since you don't have to put down the money for years two and three and four and five, you know? Um, and uh, so I, I think that there is gonna, there are going to be a ton of one-year deals this offseason. And teams love one-year deals. And uh, this is part of why. Yeah, one and an option. You know, like that's also... Something you're going to see a lot of. The Brewers gave out so many one-on-an-option one type uh, deals a year ago. It was kind of ridiculous. But did also want to point out in the rankings, though, for Clevenger, you had Lam- did you end up with Lamette 17th? Yeah, Lamette stayed at 17th, yep, and Clevenger was 19th, yep. Well, it might help us sort of conceive of this, like, arm injury, yellow flag, and what it's worth in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Because you have in Lamette and Clevenger, two guys who had arm injuries late last year that have had Tommy John surgery before that would have probably a yellow flag. Maybe Clevenger's is, is red and Lamette's is yellow. But you have these two injury flags on top 20 pitchers. How do you how do you change your strategy to fit it? How when do you think Clevenger's arm risk becomes um becomes a enough you know where's the the risk to reward ratio right and so i wonder just asking you now sort of off the cuff do you think that clevenger this clevenger situation will make you rethink where you put lamette in your next update it's a good question because i think on pure skills my trust level with clevenger was higher but my concern about clevenger was a little greater because of what happened at the end of the year. The very specific nature of how Lamette was handled versus how Clevenger was handled, that was what was separating them in the ranks for the time being. Where do you go from this point forward? Do you, do you lower Lamette? I mean, if I drop Lamette, I have Zach Gallon right behind him. I have Sonny Gray a couple spots behind him. Hinjin Ryu. Gallon and Gray have less risk than Lamette. So you could just purely on risk justified knocking him down a couple spots there. Hinge Ryu. If he gets down to Strasburg, Ryu's playing of injury risk. And then if you get to Strasburg, are you really going to flip Strasburg and Lament based on injury risk? Yeah, you're not really going to make a move there. I mean, I kind of have them grouped with that risk factored in. So you're only talking about a couple of guys. And with Lamette, I mean, the main reason he's ahead of Gray already, we're talking about a pretty big difference in strikeout rate if you look at the last two seasons combined and I think the biggest flaw or the thing I worry about most with Lamette is actually the walk rate and Sonny Gray has got a higher walk rate than Denilson Lamette yeah, since true. the start of 2019 so that's why hard they, to put him above yeah him. I mean it, they're, they're close they're very close I, I think with Gray you're getting a little more durability with Lamette you're getting more ceiling and what you're trying to accomplish in that spot we say this a lot, and I feel like it's it might be throwaway analysis. I don't think it is. It really depends on where you're at with your pitching staff and, and how you're going to go about it. If you already have a pretty safe innings eater, if you're building around an Aaron Nola or even Jack Flaherty, I think, is in that group. Uh, if you have a workhorse already, I think you can take on a little more risk with that second pitcher. How you're going to build early with that group of pitchers dictates which option you're going to choose in that range. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of see a place in the rankings and I'm not saying that your rankings are incorrect. I think that 
we just played this game where we're like, where else are you going to put Lamette? And how far are you going to push him down? We played the game where we're like, we tried to find a new place for him. There's something about starting pitchers ranked 13th to 23rd <laughs> that I just, that just freaks me out. And the only person that I would be like, oh, but I love Zach Gallen so, you know, and I'll, I, I'll ignore whatever warning signs are around him. This is a group that is full of warning signs and so many for being so high. I mean, I'm sorry. As great as Kenta Maeda was, it, there's, there was, there's a not an agreement between how great he was last year and how great he's been in the past. There's a regression is coming. We've talked about Aaron Nola's weird high ERA if you combine the last two years. Blake Snell has the injury risk. Tyler Glass now has two pitches in bad command. Lamette has two pitches, bad command, and injury risk. I love Zach Gallen, but he's in this list. Mike Clevenger, hurt. Sonny Gray, bad command, has had some bad years. Had some injury risk, too. Hanjin Ryu, like, does he have a season with more than 150 innings? Steven Strasburg is the walking injury risk, and Zach Greinke is nearing the end of his career. That just seems like a murderer's row where I'm like, yo, I'm not, I'm not involved in this. Like, I don't think this is a great year for the whole two aces strategy. Hmm. If you're gonna, if your two aces are Luis Castillo and Trevor Bauer, or you know, two guys above that, then sure. But you invested your first two picks in starting pitching, and you're gonna have to make it back on hitting. So, I think for me, it's a one ace year. I want a, I want a top ten pitcher. If Scherzer and Kershaw fall in a crazy league or whatever, then maybe, maybe they'll be a second ace for me. But I don't think so. I think they'll be gone in the first two rounds. So I want, I want a top ten pitcher, and then. I am going to go hitter, hitter. I'm looking at Gallon again. I think the problem I have with Gallon being where I have him right now is the massive difference in command. 119 command plus compared to 86 for Lamette and 87 for Glass. Everybody around him is pretty bad, yeah, actually. Other than and even compared to Snell, Snell's better than Glass now and Lamette in that metric at 96. 119 to 96 is a big difference. So I think I'm kind of warming up to the idea that Zach Gallen, when this list gets updated, in addition to Clevenger being might, removed, might be like Gallen's your 15th best starting pitcher. Gallen's probably <laughs> creeping up to 15 because I err on the side of stability in that range. I do think you yeah. can make pretty big mistakes with your pitching in that range, that 13 to 23 range you described. I mean, where you draw the lines depends on the year and, and who's healthy and who's not right. But it's terrifying. I have to tell you that that, that group was just terrified. me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could see the bottom falling out on a bunch of those guys for all different reasons. The lack of a third pitch is a big deal. Lack of command uh, injury histories are a factor, you know, with Grinky, I think what we saw at the end of his season was scary in a different way, right? It wasn't, a physical ailment necessarily that completely sidelined him, but the way the Astros used him in the postseason was troubling, right? Oh, that goes back to our other conversation. Yeah, they don't seem to trust him. That seems like a meaningful thing. He also had, he did have a biceps thing though. There was a start that was kind of skipped or he was pushed. There was something. Plus he throws like 87, dude. At some point it's not going to work. <laughs> Eventually it falls apart. And yeah. <laughs> I, I think with Grinky. As much as I don't want to bet against him, I'd rather be a year too early again in staying away yeah. than B 
being on him one year too long. When he's going in the top thirty SPs, yeah, that's a high. That's a that's a lot of money to uh, lots of that's an investment. Yeah, because yeah, we're talking in terms of ADP in the early drafts. So we're still only up to maybe five or six drafts. It's really it's not that many yet. <sighs> he's at ninety eight point six. Still a top one hundred pick, man. A top one hundred picks. I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I want to feel pretty good about. I'm right there with you. So Smiley, by the way, I've got him ranked. He's he's tough. I've got him down. <laughs> he's on there he's somewhere. Sit sixty eight. <laughs> and it's a little bit like he's kind of doing the Kevin Gossman thing, kind of picking his spot early, going to a good team, good situation. The Gossman situation was more about the park, I think, than anything else. But I could see it, this working. It reminds me also. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like how you might feel about Rich Hill. Yeah, it's a little bit of that in there you know, too because could be good for a little bit, but you know, fair amount of injury risk and getting older and may not get you a bunch of wins. And you know, how are they going to ne- use him necessarily? Twenty six and a third innings. I mean, that's not a lot to go off of, but eleven million that says something. It's a nice landing spot for him. It comes down to how they're going to use him. If they're going to use him for four innings at a time. You're right. That's going to hurt him in terms of of wins, especially. But if you're getting elite ratios or close to elite ratios and a strikeout rate anywhere near what he was doing in 2020, you'd take that. If if you were, mm-hmm. if someone said today, okay, you're going to get a 35% K rate and you're going to get a low threes ERA and you're going to get a well above average WHIP from Juice Smiley, but you're only going to get that for 120 innings in 2021. It becomes increasingly more appealing with the every year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and in that case, maybe I've got him a bit too low, but I was still looking at the broader picture, the concerns about durability. I mean, this is a guy that has a 571 ERA over his last 140 big league innings. Like that's demonstrated home run risk. That is hard to get over. And I think Atlanta as a ballpark, it's going to help him hide that flaw a little bit. So that's a good thing. Run support. You mentioned the bullpen before. We st- not, still don't even know if there's setup. a DH in the NL. <laughs> Speaking of that, please yeah. figure that out quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really need to know the rules for the upcoming season. And there's some stuff we're not going to know until the season gets closer. Will the season start on time? Will spring training start on time? I mean, the pandemic is, is raging. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole on this show. I don't want to bum everybody out, but that's part of the unknown for 2021 now, too. We hoped it would have been in the rearview mirror by now, but unfortunately it just isn't. I think I want to talk about when to gamble on young pitching because Smiley being in the 60s in the rankings, that's more in the sweet spot where I want to take a young pitcher with a high ceiling, not necessarily an older pitcher who's been doing some tinkering. Like You could be right about Smiley at that price and you can be wrong about Smiley at that price and it's not going to break you and it could help you quite a bit if you hit, but I think you can get more from some of the younger guys who are going to go after that. Or or even right there. I mean, you have Tony Gonsolin right there. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's some risk with Tony Gonsolin given his postseason performance, but the the upside is is greater than Smiley. It's more wins, more 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 strikeouts, more just more everything. More more bulk. Yes. I think with Gonsolin you could easily see him getting used like a regular starter over a full season. It's possible he's stripling and he's in and out of the rotation, and it's frustrating because you have stretches where you have to hold on to him and he's on your bench because he's not getting mm-hmm. to start for a couple of weeks. But when he does start, if he jumps up and he's a top 40 starter, 
that's worth a roster spot when you're not getting squeezed by injuries and, and other problems, right? I mean, I think that's the way they probably see him. I think the thing that surprises me is that 88 command plus on Tony Gonsolin. I just, I didn't think that was who he was. And then we saw it, though. Mm-hmm. Then we saw it. We did. Then we saw it. Is there any reason to believe it'll get better? I mean, the prospect grades on him, 45 present, 45 future. I, he might be a little more what you see is what you get than, than I want him to be as a 26-year-old. I think an 88 command lines up with about, with about 45 uh, command. All right. So that, then he's more of a finished product. Or maybe it's a 40, but nobody nobody ever really gives 40s. That's the problem. <laughs> the scout, we've talked about this before. There's a lot, a lot of inflation on the scouting grades, you know? If you think the guy is useful, you're not going to put many 40s on them. Good point. Yeah, the missing grade in some ways. But but I think you're right. I mean, I've already talked about that Dunning, Molly, Singer, Montgomery, Means, uh, Howard Pearson section of your rankings that makes me all flustered. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I think I would group, I would take a lot of those guys, I would wait and take a lot of those guys over the Robbie Rays and Caleb Smiths and Drew Smiley's or, you know, a little bit of each, you know, take one, take one, take one. If Drew Smiley drops in the thing and he's, he's goes, you know, two rounds after Caleb Smith, then fine, I'll take a Smiley at that point. But I, I agree with you generally, and I don't know if it's maybe a flaw. I mean, there are times when the, I mean, look at the what the Braves are doing. They're betting on Drew Smiley, and he might bump somebody like Bryce Wilson, a young, somewhat exciting pitcher from the rotation. Yeah, but for Atlanta, I mean, there are major questions about the rotation going into the postseason. We talked about it on that episode that mm-hmm. you and I and Britt did with Ken Rosenthal. It was their biggest flaw as a team. If Smiley is the kind of guy who's going to get a three or four year deal. Next winter, four might be a lot. He's actually a little older than people realize, and with the arm injuries he's had, there's quite a bit of risk there. But if he's going to get a multi-year deal next winter, if he's their pitching equivalent of Marcelo Zuna, you know they're hitting on getting a lot of high-quality innings for the short term, that's a big win for them. And that's a big win for fantasy players at the price if he stays outside the top 200. I wonder how much Smiley landing in Atlanta will drive up that price. I wonder how much more the likelihood of him being fixed into a good rotation will build up that confidence. And I don't know. I mean, I, I got I got a little heat for the command guys being where they are, but you just you have such a difficult time trusting the sub twenty percent strikeout rate guys. Start over start. There's so many ways it can go wrong for that group of pitchers. Uh, I, I'm. Standing by those guys where they are. I, I don't think you need to go earlier to get Marco Gonzalez. Like if someone else wants to take him in the eighth or ninth round, tip your cap, go get somebody else. You can find guys like him in the late rounds. Dallas Keuchel seems very much like Marco Gonzalez. Yeah, you have them right next to each other, and there's a hundred hundred per pick gap in their ADPs. They both have great command plus numbers. They both have poor uh, strikeout percentages. They both have poor velocity numbers, but they they have a bunch of pitches. They carve people up. They're both left-handers. They both get left in for wins and losses. And, you know, they're both interesting bulk guys, but they're not someone you want to bet on to have much better than, you know, basically a 4-0-0 ERA. So, no, I, I, I think um, the smiley thing might push him a little bit, but um, he's still too much uh, like the other kind of veterans with innings and performance red flags um, around him. 
I think I would take a late flyer every single time on you know Matt Shoemaker or if his thoracic outlet syndrome is fine by spring training. Someone like Merrill Kelly who brings that excellent command and is available 200 picks later. I, I think we we can see the the upper bound and the lower bound of the range of outcomes pretty easily when we start looking at the low strikeout rate, good command pitchers, and the wildly different prices it takes to get them in our drafts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also just the idea of like paying a dollar for a $3 pitcher instead of paying $3 for a $3 pitcher. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly the way I would see it. I want to go to the hitter side for a little bit because... Mike Yastrzemski, according to some of the feedback I got just in the first few hours, I had one commenter who suggested that I had underrated him. Uh, they, was, they were surprised that Wander Franco in particular was ahead of him, given the uncertainty around Franco and when he's going to get called up. But then I also had somebody suggest that I actually had him overrated. And that made me feel like maybe I have Mike Yastrzemski just right. Rated. Yes, maybe he's very <laughs> appropriately rated on the hitter rankings. But he is really interesting because... Just like the projection systems seem to struggle with young players who come up for that limited sample and get knocked around, I think the way aging curves are applied, I think they also work against players like Mike Yastrzemski. You were just looking up on the Fangraphs auction calculator uh, where the steamer projections for 2021 have Yastrzemski among outfielders, and man, whoever thought I had him underrated is going to go off on the steamer people when he sees that projection from them <laughs> yeah yeah and it's uh it's for a 247 average with 22 homers and this is actually kind of weird for me seven steals in a full season he stole two in 2019 and two in 2020 obviously truncated seasons but uh i'm gonna give his over under for steals at about three so, um, so Steamer is is not not excited. Um, there's a one player that in sort of a would you rather ish moment, um, we were comparing that kind of was like okay, I could see like you have Eddie Rosario uh, ranked 67th, 10 ahead of Mike Stramski, and I I see them as very similar. If you just look at their max EVs, for example, they both are at like 105, 106. Uh, they both make decent contact, you know, Rosario a little bit more, uh, but maybe there's a little bit more power with Yastrzemski. Um, you know, they seem very similar players where they're not going to steal that much anymore. And it's more about, can this guy not embarrass me in batting average and give me a bunch of bulk when it comes to homers and, and RBIs and runs, that sort of deal. So um, I could say, yeah, Mike Yastrzemski, um, underrated. But then you look at the projections for Steamer, um, and the projections for Yastrzemski, and you're just like, why are these so wildly different? Um, and because they give Eddie Rosario 275 with 30 homers and five stolen bases. Eddie Rosario is 29, so it's not necessarily the aging curve. Yastrzemski's 30. Um, I think that the problem here is, and this is the opportunity for people next year, I think the problem here is that San Francisco does not play like San Francisco used to. And I've got a story coming out, maybe tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, with Andrew Baggerly, where we looked into uh, some stuff. I don't want to spoil it, but one one thing that we found was that the Giants just had the most, the second biggest turnaround from year to year as a team in terms of offense. And 
Um, and so one of the things you think about when you think about that is the park. So, you know, I've been, I've been doing park effects all day. I've been looking at the park effects all day. And if you look at the part of the park where they changed the defenses, um, basically barrels play or, or slugging there is about 25% better. So in that one third of the park, slugging is 25% better. But you could say, okay, well, there's still two thirds of the outfield that were, there was no changes. So, you know, it's just one little bit, you know, that should, that should nudge numbers up a little bit, but not a lot. But it, apparently they closed the archways um, in the, in the outfield there where you used to be able to sort of stand and look and the, and the air could go through out to the bay. And now that's closed. So that's going to create a new wind pattern. And maybe that, maybe that brings uh, things up. When I looked at how barrels perform at the park across the board, they, they perform 12% better across the board. So I think that there was actually a park thing going on in San Francisco where it's playing more fair than it has in the past. And there's a chance that projection systems won't get that. And I'm not, there's not enough talent right now on the roster, but let's say the Giants sign someone, right? I mean, there's Yastrzemski. We've talked about him. Um, you know, Brandon Belt had a career year at 32. I'm not necessarily lining up to get him, but like maybe if, you know, at the end of a draft or something. Um, a lot of the other guys just seem like role players in terms of fantasy. I wouldn't necessarily want to uh, bank on Evan Lagoria for any reason. So, but if you, there's a real opportunity with somebody signing there. Like if George Springer signs in San Francisco and everybody minuses eight home runs off his total, go buy George Springer, you know? Um, and I think that might be true of additions uh, that they that they they have. There's going to be some additions. You know, they're going to spend some money. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the offense changed so much from year to year with this group of hitters. I mean, Brandon Crawford, not new to the situation. Evan Longoria, not new to the situation. Wilmer Flores, not the kind of impact player you'd expect to completely change the fortunes of an offense. You know, Alex Dickerson is a nice hitter when healthy, but not a star by any stretch. Mauricio Dubon, you know, nice utility type, maybe a regular. You, you don't see that lift coming from anybody that they had in the lineup last year. So, yeah, the park factors being different is really important. I do think it takes more time than it should for a park's reputation to catch up to how it actually plays. I think we saw that for a few years in Minnesota. I think it had Target Field had a reputation for being a more pitcher-friendly park than it really is. I think people are finally up to where that one goes. I think the Dodger Stadium being a lot more hitter-friendly now than it used to be. I thought it was, yeah. And I think both of those might be actually global warming related because um, Minnesota, I think, if it did play pitcher-friendly early on, it was kind of rain, rain and, and cold. In the, in the first months, you know, people always talked about how it was an open air park. I don't know if there's enough time in there to, to really affect because that hasn't been around as long. But I do think it's the case in Dodger Stadium where people um, used to think that it was a certain temperature at game time. And now it's like 95 at seven o'clock. So uh, that's obviously going to lead to more offense. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Minute Maid, Minute Maid comes to mind. Um, you know, the, the, the park factors on Minute Maid, if you look at one year park factors, like the ESPN park factors on Minute Maid, they jump, they go up and down from year to year and people can't really figure that one out. I want to ask you about Joey Bart, since we're talking about the giants, uh, you know, he has Buster Posey 
likely coming back into the equation in 2021. I would assume Posey is going to play somewhere other than catcher a little bit, whether that's first base again. Uh, if a Brandon Belt trade were to happen, that would obviously kind of solve the problem, I think, with those two guys not having a spot to call their own. Bart didn't homer. He played 33 games for the Giants and didn't hit a home run, which is pretty surprising because there's plenty of power there. And 60-grade power from a catcher is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I think the hit tool is better than what we saw in his first 111 plate appearances. I don't think long-term Joey Bart's a 233 guy. Uh, the, the plate skills, three walks against 41K is a, it's a miserable start to his career, but it's only 33 games. It's almost like the the opposite of Cabrian Hayes' rookie season, right? Like the, the quality of what Cabrian Hayes did in half of the shortened season is off the charts good, and Joey Bart's half shortened season is just so underwhelming. And if you'd said going into last season that Cabrian Hayes was going to be that good and Joey Bart was going to be that bad, I don't think anybody really would have believed it. I was out. I, I didn't have any shares. I mean, mostly I've, I talked about how catchers take longer to debut and, and, and take longer to peak. And I'm just kind of out on, on patch, catching prospects for the large part, but there was one time and I'm not, I'm not, you know, a scout by any measure or means, but I was in Modesto to talk to a bunch of the Mariners pitchers, Logan Gilbert and, LeJay Newsom and Penn Murphy. And while I was there, the Giants were in town and I saw Elliot Ramos, Jared Kelenich, and Joey Bart playing this game. Uh Kelenich, like he was uh he was he pulled a, a ball for a homer. He uh, hit an opposite field double, and then he hit a single right up the middle, and it was just like Okay, dude can cover all the different parts of the plate and do different things with it, and looks like he has a lot of power and looked really athletic and and fast at the plate. So I was like, you know, on the on the on the field. So I was like, okay, this is I'm all in on him. Um, Ramos did to that to some extent. I, I liked what I saw from Ramos, and it's only one game, but Bart seemed really in between. And if I couldn't think of anything to describe Bart's first season in the major leagues it's in between and one of the things that stands out for me is this if you look at his swing rates they're all above 50 percent on the curve the slider and the change they're below 45 percent for the pass balls so dude is swinging at the junk and taking the hard stuff yeah i one thing i don't find helpful about this line of thinking is I just don't know if that's easier to fix, you know, like have people that have had this problem in the past fixed it. Yeah. Or is this like a terminal blow? Um, you know, like maybe it could be as simple as telling him, Joey, get out there and be aggressive on fastballs and, and, and don't worry about your strikeout rate. And maybe that actually fixes it. Uh, but you'll, you'll have to, you do see a fair amount of swing and miss in his minor league career. Um, and you do see kind of mediocre projections next year for a two four two fifty batting average with less than league average power, and I and I don't have any one thing I can tell you where I'm like, yeah, this is why I would buy low. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, the ground ball rate fifty one point six percent. That's not good. Yeah, bail bail rate is basically league average. Yeah, yeah, it's it's strange, but it's only thirty three games. This is a guy that 
didn't play that long at double A and skip triple A entirely. And you know, we could talk about how limited the value of even spending time at triple A really is. I think one thing we've talked about on this show is you see these seasoned veterans that just have a way of getting guys out. Maybe it's not the the best stuff, but they're going to sequence in a way that is more like big league pitchers. They're going to have better command uh, because they've been around the block a few times, right? Like, so it's, I think that would help with flaws like the ones you described with Joey Bard. If we think this is a pitch recognition problem, seeing guys that aren't throwing major league stuff and sequencing like that, you know, kind of stepping up to that would be an easier progression. The adjustment period is going to take longer if they keep him up in the big leagues and continue to have him try and work through it as a part-time player behind Buster Posey. So, I don't know. I guess based on, on what you're seeing under the hood, it seems like an easy avoid for me for Bart for 2021, even if he's a somewhat logical buy low on principle for keeper in dynasty leagues. But like you, I, I don't necessarily want catchers as my long-term prospects. Like that's not the way I want to play. I think the offensive ceiling for those players is often so limited that the payoff is seldom worth it. Yeah, when I have another piece I'm working on on the value of speed um, as expressed in in OPS. And I'm not talking about turning singles into doubles. I'm actually talking about how defenders play you. I think we might have talked about this on the podcast a little bit. And I've got some I've got some findings. Catchers are slow as balls. And the these, these finds we have being really slow affects your OPS by the way defenders can play you on the infield like we've got we've got an actual sort of correlation and a and a, a, a small f finding i mean it's it's definitely one of those things where you're like duh dude but like you know <laughs> in this business whenever you find something where you're like this looks real this looks like an actual thing you can kind of get excited about it because there's so many times where you're just bumping around the numbers and can't figure anything out so um I think catchers being super slow is meaningful. I don't know. That means that you have to go get Varsho or anything, but, um, you know, it might be nice to have Dalton Varsho next year. I'd rather have Dalton Varsho than Joey Bart. Yeah. There's more ways for Dalton Varsho to be useful. Um, and that even kind of throws out the difference in hit tool. I just think the fact that Varsho runs well, uh, that athleticism gives him more past <clears> the <throat> playing time defensively, but it also gives him a Which chance to be, yeah. A rare catcher-eligible player who steals bases. I mean, I think about how excited everybody is when Isaiah Kiner-Falefa comes out, gets playing time, has catcher eligibility, and steals a few bases. People go crazy. Dalton Varsho is a much better hitter. At least he projects to be a much better big league hitter than Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Uh, but I think you're talking power and speed, either from center field or from the catcher spot or from a split of both, depending on... Uh, how the D-backs want to handle their situation. I would assume with Carson Kelly, Varshall's a part-time catcher and a part-time outfielder, and they're just going to move guys around to get them both playing time. But I think one of the hardest things to figure out as we look ahead to 2021 is for players who we saw debut in 2020 in semi-regular roles, in extremely limited roles, how important will it be for teams to send those players back down, either for the purposes of manipulating service time or even for just straight-up development. If things didn't go the way they expected, how much are teams going to want to go back to sending those guys to AA or AAA and kind of pretend like the debut last year didn't necessarily happen from a, 
what happens next year point of view. Oh yeah, I think they will. I think they will. I think they'll they'll already they'll just be this blanket austerity push. I could probably say that for politics too, but let's not go there. Uh, there will be uh, there will be an austerity push in baseball um, that you know they'll just they'll just point back to losses from this year, um, and so the austerity push means. Uh, keep start your guys in the minor leagues. Although in some cases it might mean play the play the prospect because he's he's only you only have to pay him five hundred thousand dollars this year, you know. So I guess I guess it can't it won't it won't be like across the board super easy to figure out. But if you're a team that is not necessarily competing for the title. I could see I could see Dalton Varsho starting next year in the minor leagues. Yeah, it's it's hard to figure out the balance between we're saving money, so we want young guys to play, and this guy is good enough that we care about saving money later too. So he's going back to the <laughs> minors, even though he was good enough to play on an almost everyday basis in the second half of the shortened season. But yeah. <laughs> that is that is a logic pretzel to untangle. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> like, how are we supposed to really make a call on that? Maybe it'll be a flood of minimums. It'll be a, maybe it'll be actually be the opposite of what I just said. Maybe it'll be a flood of minimum salary guys and a lot of releasing year three uh, non-tenders and non-tendering year three ARB guys and a lot of veterans that you thought might get one more deal not getting another deal. The other type of player who I feel like is an absolute blindfold player looking ahead to next year is the Tommy Edmond type player. The or guy who took a step forward and is going to get an opportunity like with Edmund it was hey he's played really well at the highest level of the minor leagues and he's a versatile defender let's call him up and see what happens gets that chance plays all over I think he had the best WRC plus of his career when he debuted with the Cardinals in 2019 guys that are not on top prospect lists but within an organizational prospect ranking you know, have that sort of glue appeal. They're in the 10 to 20 range on lists like that. Not knowing what those guys were able to do either at the alternate site or if they're playing winter ball, like not getting the complete understanding of how their teams view and value them right now is also extremely frustrating. Like There are going to be so many players who end up finding playing time in 2021 who were just so far off our radar because we literally could not see them in 2020 that it's already driving me crazy. You know who comes to mind is, is sort of like Bryce Turing. You know, I'm looking at the back end of the top 100. Uh, Tyler Freeman, guys we were super excited about. You know, we know a little bit more about Andres Jimenez because he came up and played, but he's ranked right next to Tyler Freeman. You know, there are all these, these, these uh, trade rumors of like Francisco Lindor going for something packaged headed by Andres Jimenez. It's like, well, they've got Tyler Freeman but we don't know how good Tyler Freeman is. The double A piece of the puzzle, such a big piece that for, for guys that were supposed to have spent this past year at double A, I would assume they go to double A to begin 2021. They might not stay there as long as they would have otherwise, but if you're a team, you want to see how they handle that competition. I don't think you mm-hmm. can completely answer the questions you would answer at double A watching a 20, 21, 22 year old player face a random assortment of your own prospects. I think there's yeah. a, actually a Daniel, lot we learn at that level. Daniel Johnson. Yeah, he, he's uh, a little bit more like that kind of player. Like what what the heck did this season actually Jonathan bring for him? India. 
Like he was the India needed the year. Corey Ray, Kyle a former Isbell. top prospect. I mean, guys, guys that were close to being big leaguers or had fallen in the rankings. Like they needed a minor league season last year. Like every team yeah. has several players like that who had something to prove. Maybe they were hurt the year before. Maybe somebody was kind of blocking them. Maybe they just had a down year and they needed to bounce back from it. Where those guys go and the form they're in to begin the next season, good luck. Yeah, I I, I run a team with James Anderson and I literally texted him, how the hell are you doing your job? LOL. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Can you share the answer? Uh, I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think he'd be mad if I if I if I um, let you into his process a little bit. He says, uh, "Beat writer reports from alternate sites, uh, players' Instagram pages, lots of Twitter and Google searches, and then the one that is not as repeatable to other people: uh, emails to contacts, desperate emails to contacts." Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Which I, mean... I I feel that in my bones. <laughs> 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 Every story I've been able to write this year has just come uh, uh, has at some point included desperate texts or emails to contacts. <laughs> the value of information that you can get from people who are seeing those players has probably never been higher. It's always valuable, but failing your own ability to dig into the numbers and and kind of paint a picture yourself, the lucky few who are seeing the players either now or had seen them at the alternate site, they can shed a little bit of light, maybe a lot of light on what is likely to come. And putting all that together, again, very, very difficult to do. Uh, but it's so hard because a lot of times when you have a contact with a team in prospect world, it then you like nobody else is seeing their players. So you're asking them about their own players. So now you're going to you know email your contact at the Red Sox. Who looks good? Well, they all do. <laughs> right right and then you don't even know when they when they are telling you something about it and i've run into this a little bit myself it's like are they telling you because they want to pump up their trade value could be i don't know this 2020 is just the year of the mind f <laughs> any any little rabbit hole you can go into you just it gets uh it gets dirty by the time you get to the bottom yeah, does not take long uh, in this year to uh, have it all fall apart. <laughs> I felt like if I was going to extend the rankings, right? There's 500 players ranked in the rankings that came out. If I was going to add another 300 players total, so maybe 200 more hitters, 100 more pitchers, or 250 and 50 or some split, it would be very difficult with reason to get those lists to be that much bigger. Because the types of guys, the glue guys, the players you would draft for draft and hold leagues after the 30th round, the, we just we have nothing to go off of. We have absolutely nothing except for those secondhand reports. And those, as you said, can be very flawed. So that's why we're grateful for teams like the Mariners when they put out little snippets like the max exit velocity. We talked about that on the last episode. You know, Any data-driven information from these players is key. The Instagram thing is also kind of interesting to me because even if you're just able to figure out where a player is and what a player is doing, maybe that gives you some indicators as to just how much that org values that player. Are they in Arizona right now at Instructs or are they at home trying to figure it out on their own? Like That is a pretty big difference, right? If there is 
some kind of gathering that teams have put together, who's included and who's not sheds a bit of light on how their evaluations might be stacking up internally. Yeah, yeah, except that um, sometimes there's, Again, just stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of injury or, you know, what their current situation is. Um, sometimes a player in the Dominican Republic playing in actual games there is preferable to bringing him under your wing. So maybe you just let him stay there uh, and play somewhere and it may not look like you don't necessarily value him, but you're just happy with his situation and where he's playing and what he's doing. Um, so it's just, it's just really hard to say anything definitive, I think about prospects right now. And I just, I feel really badly, uh, for people who have to do it. (laughs) I get to just pick one and call them the prospect of the week. And (laughs) that's it. Yeah. Picking one a week uh, in season is a little bit easier. Uh, if you're missing baseball, by the way, the best value going on right now, the Dominican winter league, you could stream for 20 bucks for the whole season. And the default page is all the games at once. You can click through and watch them one at a time if you want. But you get the mosaic view right away for 20 bucks. There are plenty of good players there. Wander Franco is playing there. Nate Lowe is hitting behind him. Future Rays 3-4 combo. A kid. I think I'm probably just wrong about Nate Lowe at this point. But hey, it's now or never, right? He's, he's in that bucket of players. Didn't really play much If this I was year. watching that game, I might be watching for Nate Lowe, actually. <laughs> it's very, like, sort of actionable, you know, like, can he hit for power to all fields? Is he, you know, is he going to be a part of the Rays' plan next year or is it just going to be more of the same? I, I, I saw that lineup and was like, I want to watch for Nate Lowe. And instead, they, they were like, somebody was marketing it and was like, oh, Nationals 19th prospect Trey... Trey's Barea or something? I don't, I don't know who that is <laughs> off the top like, of my head. but The Nationals' 19th best prospect. Can we can we promote Nate Lowe in some way that's more interesting than the Nationals' 19th best prospect? <laughs> <laughs> like, you could just be like, you know, major leaguer Nate Lowe. Right? Yeah. A guy that we were excited about not that long ago, Nate Lowe. I mean, that's how quickly that's how quickly the game turns on you when you're a prospect. You're a top prospect, you become a major leaguer, and just not exciting enough anymore. <laughs> yeah, you didn't come up your first year and hit 30 home runs, so now we think you're AJ Reed or Brett Wallace yeah, exactly. or one of those guys. And look, the bar for a first baseman is really high. You have to come up and mash to yeah. kind of continue to get playing time, but. Uh, you know, I, I want to see things like Victor Robles and whether or not he's shedding that extra weight. You can definitely learn different things by seeing players this way too. So, uh, love the fact that this is only twenty bucks. Best twenty bucks I've spent probably throughout the entire year. Which, uh, man, it's been a, a miserable, miserable year. Anything else on your mind? You know, before we get out. Nope, nope. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be just a that's going to be an off season characterized by. Um, overvaluing perhaps the 2020 season results um, and not knowing what to do about how to value all these prospects. I see on your, on your hitter rankings that you have like, you know, a couple places where you've um, grouped together prospects. Like there's a around 230, there's the Kirilov downs, Royce Lewis, Vidal Bruhan grouping where they all seem really close and they could play in the majors this year. And they, do things that you would find exciting in the majors. And yet we have no idea really for the large part, how well they're playing and how 
close they are to the big leagues and how much their teams are going are planning on penciling them in. Is Trevor Larnock, you know, penciled into the lineup next year? Is is you know everyone's saying Spencer Torkelson looks amazing? You know, that's like. You know, you could hit a couple long homers and get a p- people excited about you. You know, like I, I was super excited about Austin Riley after I, after I heard the sound of those homers back in the day. And not saying that Austin Riley is 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 kaput and and no longer useful, but you know, Spencer Torkelson could have a similar up and down beginning to his career. So we're just we're gonna have to you know we're just have to try and see through it and do the best we can. I I talked to Steamer about how they're doing Steamer projections and. You know, he said that Steamer is built because they have an in-season projection ability. Um, he said that they're, it's built to kind of look back on whatever sample you have, weight the things that need to be weighted the right way in that sample, and good look forward. Because when you have in-season um, projections, you have to be able to project the rest of the season after 10 plate appearances, after 50, after 250. So he says, we just look back on it and look at it like it's a 250 plate appearance season. You know, what would we do if we were doing in-season projections and we had 250 plate appearances so far? So um, I, I think that I, I don't want to get too fist, like, you know, too tightly wound up with projections. But I think basing your strategy next year more on projections and less on eyewitness accounts would be a good move. I think projections are going to bring people back to earth and remove some of the recency bias that would be front of mind if you were going to go more off eye test and feel like I, I think that's the that's the beauty of the projection coming off the shortened season. Uh, speaking of Austin Riley, this will be my last thought here before we go. Average exit velocity up from eighty nine point four to ninety one miles per hour in twenty twenty. K percentage way down from 36.4 to 23.8%. We've seen that for him, I think, at some of the minor league stops. He'd get to a new level. K rate would shoot Mm -hmm. up, but he'd bring it down after some time. Walk rate ticked up from 5.4 to 7.8% as well. The two early mocks ADP was 293. The earliest he went was 251. The latest was 386. I'm in at that ADP. Strong barrel rate, strong max EV. I mean, this dude does hit the ball really hard, and he's gaining plate skills. He's getting a better sense of how people want to pitch him and what he can do about it. Yeah. I think next year will be his best year for sure. Yeah, and whether he's a trade piece. And the projections are good. 253 batting average, 33 homers. That's a really nice projection. Two fi- that's like <laughs> sign me up. Kyle Schwarber probably projection. Yeah. At a lower than Kyle Schwarber price. Kyle Schwarber projection with an Adam Duvall price tag. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for, that. right? <laughs> yeah. That's plus 10, plus 12. I mean, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm here for that. So definitely in on Austin Riley at the price, regardless of whether he's in Atlanta or if he's part of a trade. I mean, I think he's the kind of guy that uh, a team that needs no young position players should trade deal. for. Yeah. I think the, yeah. the floor is, is really good for him. So. Uh, that'll be our closing thought for today. If you get some thoughts on this show or anything we've been talking about or writing about or the rankings, feel free to reach out via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, sign up for just $1 a week at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.